Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. If this message impacts you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, Sean just made fun of me. He said, preach after that. (laughs) Wow, what a beautiful moment. What a lovely thing to do to celebrate uh, mothers in this church. Um, Hi to those that I haven't met. My name is Alicia and uh, I get the great privilege of sharing the word with us this morning. We're in a, uh, in a series called Doubt, a series on faith. And, uh, and I would like to explore that topic this morning using a story of a mother in the Bible. And maybe as I see it, a story of a mother who is in one of the most challenging moments that we see in the entire Bible. So you want to do that together this morning? Are we ready? Let's do that. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning and you want to share it with the person next to you, let's turn to uh, John, John chapter 19. And I've got lots of scriptures this morning, so uh, I hope your fingers are warmed up and you're ready to flick or swipe or... Do whatever it is to read the Word of God. So John chapter 19 and verse 25. Standing near the cross was Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. And Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And we want to continue on that story in Mark, Mark chapter 16. And verse 1, and it says this, it said, Saturday evening when the Sabbath had ended, Mary Magdalene, mother, Mary the mother of James and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way there, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in, white, in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, Don't be alarmed, for you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they had laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee, And you will see him there just as he told you before he died. Amen? What a great story. Let's just think about Mary here for a moment. We've got a lot of people who are involved at the very end of Jesus' life here on earth. When he was hanging on a cross, his mother was sitting beside the cross watching what was happening. And if we try and think at that moment that Mary was sitting there, 
she didn't know the end of the story. We forget that sometimes because we read the Bible because we can read it from the first chapter to the last chapter and we know what happened. But who knows as a mother, sometimes you sit there and you don't know the end of the story. And Mary was witnessing her son dying and she didn't know the end of the story. I wonder in the middle of her despair and her anguish, Did she doubt? Did she doubt? You see, Mary had received Jesus as a miracle. If we wind back the clock, Jesus received Mary as a promise from God, a miracle from God that was amazing. She had an angel come and tell her that she was pregnant. Not any old angel, but the archangel, Gabriel, came down and spoke to Mary and said, you will conceive a child. It was a miracle. And after that, she was so excited. She, she kind of struggled with it initially, but then she was like, this is the most incredible thing that's ever happened. And she went to see Elizabeth and the two of them, two best buddies, like dancing and, 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 and ex- being excited because Elizabeth was also pregnant when she couldn't fall pregnant. So these two women celebrated this incredible miracle. In fact, Mary was so excited, she wrote a worship song. Have you ever had times in your life where you're so full of faith you could write a worship song? (laughs) I know, you should read mine. I've sent mine in. None have made it just yet. (laughs) But there's times in your life where God does something incredible for you and at that point in your life, faith is huge. Mary wrote a song at that point. But let me tell you something about motherhood. It's all exciting until that baby comes out. Uh, And all the mothers laughed. Because our journey can start with a miracle, full of faith, something incredible. And yet when Jesus came, Mary was required to give birth in a cave-like room out the back of an inn with farm animals. What? That's That's not how I thought the Son of God would be born. Really? Oh, no, hang on, the story's not finished yet. After she gives birth in front of animals and, you know, there's donkeys and sheep, and, I mean, it's just glamour all around, then, you know, people start turning up. We get wise men, we get shepherds, we get angels over the top. She must have thought, what is going on here? And then, not only that, but this child she gives birth to is possibly, just possibly, one of the most arrogant children I've ever met. Have you actually read what Jesus did when he was a child? When he was 12, he disappears for three days. Now, I don't know about you, mums, but my 12-year-old, he ain't disappearing for three days. (laughs) And not only did he disappear for three days, but she went and chased him. And then when she found him, he was in the temple lecturing adults. Has has anybody got a strong-willed child here? This 12-year-old was in the temple lecturing adults when she turns up and she says, excuse me, where have you been? Do you know what he says? I've got to read this, isn't it? Why are you even looking for me? Her, Her son turns around and says, why are you even looking for me? I'm busy. I'm in my father's house. 
And then the son grows up and he becomes a carpenter. But all of a sudden he starts stirring up trouble. He gets baptised and then starts stirring up political trouble in the, in the area. He starts teaching. He starts getting a following. And Mary's looking on going, this is my son. So she went to listen to him teach one day and she turns up and her son says this. They, she, she turns up and, and the disciple says, your mother's here and, and your brother's to come and see you. And he said, who is my mother? Now, what the Bible doesn't say is Mary's reaction to that. Because <laughs> if it was me, I would have put the hands on the hip. I'd say, ah, your mother. <laughs> But Jesus just goes, who's my mother? Who's my mother? And then he says, who's my brother? And he said, look, you're all my mother and my brother and we're all family. And he ignores her. You see, the amazing thing about parenthood is you soon work out that you are not in control of the story. You do not know how this thing is going to work out. And I, I, I have boys like that. I mean, I assumed that when we fell pregnant that, that our boys would inherit the best of my genetic makeup and the best of my husband's genetic makeup. Unfortunately, <laughs> there are elements of our genetic makeup that when you combine the two, <laughs> and that's putting it nicely. And I don't know if you wrote the story of your family down in a chapter book, it might look like balloons and kisses and reading books and lovely manners. My story would look a bit like a war zone of chaos and Lego and food scraps and fighting and smelly soccer boots. Yes. I mean, you picked Jack pretty early, but I think Jack and Jesus as children have got a fair bit in common. <laughs> So uh, I'm pretty. I'm a pretty great mum. I mean, I mean that's. Yeah, I know, I know. And for those of you who've heard me speak a number of times, you'll know what a great mother I am from some of the stories that we may have shared over time. And uh, and so I want to tell you about the day that I really nailed parenting. I mean, I'm the kind of mother that runs into the school to pick my children up at least 20 minutes after the majority of the schools left. And um, this would happen on a, on a relatively common occasion. I mean, I was a working mum and I used to run in and I'd be fighting my way through the crowd as everyone's streaming out of the school, Alicia's turning up. And Jack was six. He was a little preppy. And uh, so they were fenced in. They couldn't get out, thank goodness, because my child used to wait there for quite a while. And... Uh, Anyway, he's standing at the gate and so Alicia comes running through the crowd and uh, little Jack's just leaning on the fence. And before I could say a word in front of all the other mums, he said, don't tell me mum, couldn't find a park. <laughs> it was one of the only times I was speechless. <laughs> So we don't know this journey and this story. We don't know this person that we've created. It is a crazy journey, this journey of parenthood. And so we set our expectations quite early about what it is that our child might do or, or what type of parent that we're going to be or how this, this journey of our family is going to turn out. And yet sometimes life doesn't match our expectations. 
And here's Mary sitting at the foot of a cross watching her son die of exhaustion and choking. And I wonder if Mary began to question everything. I wonder if she was sitting there saying, this is not how I thought this story was going to play out. This is not the circumstance that I thought I was going to be in when God told me that I was going to give birth to the Son of God. Were the realities of what she was looking at so terrible that all her other experiences, the miracles, the angels, the worship songs, her faith seemed to just pale into insignificance in comparison to what she was looking at. And it seems to me that the seedbed of doubt in our faith comes in that gap between what we expected and what we're walking. And it seems to me that when I assume what God is going to do in a particular situation or in my mind create the story of how it needs to play out, when it doesn't, that's the greatest challenge to my faith. If you read this scripture and this story, what you'll find is Jesus actually told them he was going to die. He told them that he was going to die. And yet when it actually happened, they were so shocked, so disappointed, in so much anguish that it had actually happened. So what about the others that I shared at the start that were involved with this? We've got the disciples. We've got other people who'd followed Jesus. There was three women that it mentions in Mark that began walking to the tomb. And it's interesting that there were three women walking to the tomb that morning, very early in the morning. It says before sunrise, so it's in the dark. They'd got up to go and attend the tomb. But isn't it interesting that no one else is there? The women are walking to the tomb and they say to each other, who's going to roll the stone away? It is a big, huge stone. Who's going to roll it away? Where are the men is the unwritten question. Where's the strength that we need to roll this stone away? I'm not sure we're going to be able to do what we came to do. Peter, for example, as one of the disciples, he wasn't there. Where was he? Peter, prior to Jesus being crucified on the cross, had just walked through one of his most painful moments in his journey. He had been the disciple that drew a sword and cut off a soldier's ears, sticking up for Jesus. He was one of the front and centre saying, God, like, oh, Jesus, I'm your greatest follower. I can do this. And he chopped an ear off a soldier. And yet, when Jesus was dead, Peter went into hiding. You see, the greater the faith sometimes, the greater our disappointment. And you see, when we isolate ourselves, sometimes we are using that as a defense mechanism. 
against further disappointment. And that's why some of us don't step out in faith anymore because we've been disappointed. We're protecting ourselves from the pain of more disappointment. Particularly when you believe so much. I mean, when we believe so much, when we put our heart and soul into something in our faith and we we really believe to the core of our being that we have faith for that and yet we walk through a reality where it didn't come to pass. It's so easy to isolate ourselves. Sometimes it's so easy to fake our faith, particularly when doubt is actually eating away at us in the core. But we have three women walking in the darkness to do what they could do with what they had in their hand at the time of their deepest despair. You see, they knew in the Jewish custom that their role was to attend the body with spices when somebody had passed away. So even in the middle of not being able to understand what had happened, in the middle of not being able to understand what they had just witnessed and the reality that Jesus was dead, this person that they had laid down their lives for, that they had left everything that they knew that they had placed their faith in, he was dead. And yet early morning they are up doing what they knew to do. There were some things that they knew they weren't strong enough to do. They commented that they didn't know how they were going to roll the stone away, but they did their best with what they had at the time. And I don't know about you, but this principle of being able to do what you know to do when you are in the moments of your greatest disappointment and your greatest despair is one of the most powerful lessons in your faith that you can learn. I remember um, some years ago, I, I had little children and I was at home, but I was working part-time. I had a very good friend who I played um, touch football with and who I worked with. And I got a phone call on the uh, Thursday morning, Friday morning, and I had to speak at a women's conference that weekend. So I had little kids, I uh, had been working, it was all happening and I, and I had this women's conference and I had to prepare something amazing to speak at the women's conference. And I got a phone call. Luke has been killed in a car accident this morning. God, that is so unfair. He's 19. It's not okay. And yet between Friday morning And Saturday afternoon, I had to stand up in front of women and speak with a heart of faith. When I was pregnant and we didn't know if our little baby was okay, I didn't didn't know how to come to church. I was on the senior leadership team. No one else knew in the church. A couple of key leaders knew at the time that something wasn't right, but we didn't tell anybody else. And I was carrying a heavy weight. Now, in those times, I didn't have the strength to do what I wanted to do, but I did what I knew to do. 
And sometimes we have to put the worship music on. Sometimes we have to put on verbal speaking of the Psalms to feed our spirits because we know that's what we need, but we don't have the strength to do it. It's doing what we know to do. It's walking out the journey of the darkness towards the place where, we, where the thing that we were believing for has died. It's in those places that we learn how to walk and do what we know to do. Because I had a faith and, and sometimes when we have faith and we're in a place of doubt or disappointment, what we struggle with is some of the scriptures that we know that feed our faith when we're all happy and it's working, but we struggle with them when we're not okay. And I remember there was two scriptures that I was really wrestling with during both of those two situations. One was this, James, in James chapter 1 and verse 5 to 7, it says this. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Hebrews 11.6 says this, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now I didn't know how to reconcile those two scriptures when I'm in a position of doubt. Because those two scriptures said to me, the James scripture told me that I shouldn't expect to see to, to get anything from God. If I'm wavering between doubt and faith, then you can forget it, girl. You shouldn't expect to receive anything. Hebrews says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So now I'm caught in a roundabout, going around and around in my own doubt and pain and not knowing how to resolve it. What Jesus taught me about those scriptures, I want to share with you today. Are you ready? I didn't read those scriptures properly because I read them from my perspective about what the impact on me was. I shouldn't receive anything from God. I can't please God. I, 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 I. That's not what the scripture said. That's a part of the scripture. What the scripture actually says, put the James one back up again. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. Who needs wisdom when you doubt? He will not rebuke you for asking. He won't rebuke you when you say, I don't know what to do here, God. Can you help me? And then it says, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in who? God alone. Our faith is not in my ability to have faith. My faith is in God alone, what he can do. Go to the Hebrews one. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that, say it together, he is. The whole scripture. Those who come to him must believe that he is. Therefore, my faith is actually in what God is, what he can do, what his promises are, what he is capable of in the middle of the time that I am struggling the most. 
These scriptures give us the greatest clue to the centre of our faith and that is God. Our faith is in Him and Him alone. Our faith is in Jesus and what Jesus accomplished on the cross that gives us access and restores our relationship to who He is. What Jesus did on the cross took all of our weaknesses, took all of our sins, nailed it to the cross, sorted it out once and for all. And so in our weakness, we can approach the throne of grace. We can come to the throne of grace with a confidence that His grace is all we need when we are struggling and walking a journey in the darkness. So we have women walking to a tomb and Jesus is dead. And they didn't know when they were going to get to the tomb that there was an angel with some news. They didn't know that. They're walking. But here's what I want you to grab this morning. In the verses from Mark that I read, that's all he said. He He said the women walked and they met an angel. If you read the same story in Matthew, this is what I want to tell you this morning. Are you ready? God wants to tell someone this this morning. In another book, Matthew wrote this. In in chapter 28, he said, Early on the Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly... There was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. Listen, in another book, God was doing something else while those women were walking their darkest time. In another book, God was already bringing an earthquake and an angel, things that those women couldn't see that were happening. But in another book, an angel had come down, rolled aside the stone, pushed away the one thing that they were concerned about that they didn't have the strength to do. God had sorted out. While you are walking, God is working. You don't always see what's happening while you're walking in the dark. You don't always see what God's up to. But let me tell you this, God's purposes for your life are never asleep. God's promises are always at work. And when you can't see, God is sending an angel to roll rocks away from your path. He is in the process of raising things from the dead. He is moving to bring salvation to you and your family. His Word is not returning void, but it is achieving all that it was sent forth to achieve. He is helping you. He is walking with you. He is helping you do what you know to do in the middle of that darkness. He is giving you strength to walk that journey. He is providing for the very thing you need. In 1 Corinthians, in chapter 13, verse 12, it says this. It says, Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and it's incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. 
I've learnt that just like those women, I need to buckle up, hang on, and walk the journey of the ride. I need to just keep doing what I know to do. When doubt comes, my faith is not in my ability to walk that journey. My faith is in God and who He is. I keep putting things, good things in. I keep reading the Word. Even if it doesn't seem like it's doing anything, I keep doing it. I keep trusting. I keep running to God with my doubts, knowing that He's at work. And here's the amazing thing about our mother Mary. After we hear about Mary sitting at the base of that cross, seeing her son die, the next thing we hear about Mary, the mother of Jesus, is that she's in the upper room. When the Holy Spirit comes and God begins the next chapter of His plans for humankind, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. She was there to see 3,000 people saved in one day. She was there to see God's promised Holy Spirit come. She was there. She was able to walk out her journey from the time that her reality looked like this whole promise was dead and gone. She walked the journey between that and 50 days later when the Holy Spirit came, she was there. Some other people weren't there. For some other people, that that journey, that experience had knocked them out. They couldn't make it through the doubt. They couldn't make it through that scenario, but not Mary. Mary was there. She got to see the next chapter. Your expectations about how your life is supposed to pan out can be the seedbed of doubt and disappointment or your faith can be anchored in Jesus and the hope of what He achieved on that cross. That anchor for your soul as it talks about in Hebrews 6, it says we have a hope that's like an anchor for the soul. It buckles us in and it helps us walk between here and there. From the end of this chapter to the start of my next chapter, I'm going to buckle in. You are going to anchor me, God, and you are going to help me walk through those seasons. Buckle up. We're in for a ride. That's the title of my message. If nothing teaches you that you're in for a ride, parenthood will. (laughs) Life teaches us we're in for a ride and yet our hope anchors us so we can walk to the tomb in the middle of the darkness and be there when the miracle comes. Let's just close our eyes. You know, for some of us, having a faith in God puts us in a very vulnerable position because it puts us in a position where we've got to say, I believe in something that I can sense, but I can't see. 
I, I, I know God is there. I know His hand is it's sort of at work, but I'm struggling because of the reality of where my life is at. Faith puts us in a vulnerable position. And yet the Bible says that by faith, we confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And when we do that, the Bible also says that when we say with our mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died on a cross for me, that He took all my weaknesses and all my sins, that when we confess that with our mouths and believe in our heart, it says that you will be saved. That God comes in, that there is a restoration of the relationship between you and Him. That He crosses the divide of all the times you've missed the mark. That He he forgives all of your sins. That He heals all of your diseases, all of your sicknesses. That He, He comes in and He says, welcome home. Let me grab your hand and help you walk this journey called life. And some of you who are here today, I know that you know what I'm talking about when I say that life sometimes doesn't match up to our expectations. But I felt this morning that God had an appointment with you today. That Jesus says to you, I loved you so much that I hung on that cross because I knew that was the way that that your life could be restored to the Father. Thank you for listening to C3 Hobart Online. If this message has impacted you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us at c3hobart.org.au.